from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. The topic of today's lecture, do airlines really understand pilot suicide, is sensitive. But it is also very important. It concerns issues around identifying mental illness among pilots and providing appropriate support. As we all know from unfortunate events which happen very rarely, but when they do, they receive a huge amount of publicity. If mental health issues among pilots are not managed properly, they can lead to catastrophic consequences. It is my pleasure to welcome Steve Hull, who is our erudite speaker on this topic. Steve has had a distinguished career in aviation, and particularly in aviation safety. He is a licensed aircraft engineer and flight engineer who during a long career with British Airways used to fly on Concorde and Boeing 747 aircraft before moving into a position of senior air safety investigator. In this role, Steve was initial lead investigator on the Boeing 777 accident at Heathrow in 2008. He was recently the safety director of VLM Airlines in Belgium and guided the airline through a successful IOSA accreditation. He currently runs safety audits and training for several airlines and aerospace organizations as a director of RTI Group. Steve has been actively involved in a number of aviation industry organizations and is the former chairman of the UK Flight Safety Committee. Without further ado, I will pass over to Steve. Welcome. Please, please. Thank you very much, Mark. I thought you were talking about someone else, and it was, went on for so long. That was the best impersonation of cabin crew I've ever seen. That wasn't well done. But I'd like to thank you for the opportunity. It's, uh, it's a real privilege for me to, to speak here, as I'm a fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society, and this is like coming back home. And uh, it's something else I can tick off my, off my bucket list, just the twin sisters to go then. Anyway, <laughs> I was joking, <laughs> sisters. The most important thing about giving presentations, I always think, is that you've got to know the subject. Well, sadly, I don't. I mean, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychoanalyst. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a nurse. Well, except for those weekend parties, you, know, you see. But, but, I mean, this is a subject that really sort of, I really feel sort of, uh, I, I guess, not devoted to, but it's, it's really a r really important subject. And it's important because when I was flying at, uh, for BA, uh, a couple of people I know committed suicide. Now, they didn't commit suicide on the aircraft, but they still committed suicide. So, so I've gone from, I went from British Airways flying a Concorde to VLM where I was safety director. You can see how much my life has slowed down. Sadly, though, they've actually gone out of business last week, which is uh, it's nothing to do with me. I left over, an, over a year ago, but a really sad day for me, nevertheless. 
And I appreciate I'm the only thing stopping you lot from drinking, so I am pretty nervous, and I do appreciate that late in the day, sleeping is a legitimate form of criticism. And if I see anybody nodding off, I'll just sort of up the pace slightly. So what should I talk about? When I was initially asked, I thought to myself, well, there's a lot of things I can talk about. I can talk about safety, but, well, everybody talks about safety. I can talk about, I, I guess, uh, fatigue risk management. Well, everybody talks about that. So in the words of Monty Pythons, I thought to myself, don't state the bleeding obvious. Talk about something that probably is on people's minds, but it's all, almost like a taboo subject. And my interest and curiosity in, in pilot suicide was triggered about, I think, in about, I think it was the 21st of November 1989, when a guy I'd only flown with about, I guess, three, four months beforehand was involved in an event, and if you're an aviator, you'll probably know this event. It's still known as the Penter event. And uh, three years later, three years and nine days later, he left his house without telling his wife, drove nine hours up to the wards, the place of his birth, to a beach and committed suicide. Now, that sort of affected me because I did a five-day trip, and my, <coughs> excuse me, I thought he was a really nice guy. He wasn't the best pilot in the world, certainly wasn't the worst pilot in the world, but he was a nice guy, as most flight crew are. So I really started taking interest, not only in the, in the event, and I'm seeing the flight engineer next month to have another chat about it, but also in him himself. And I'll see Hugh here. Hugh will probably know what I'm talking about. Two years later, I joined corporate safety as, a, as a, an air safety investigator, and it was almost like a passion of mine then to probably look a little bit farther into, into pilot suicide. And about five years later, a first officer I flew with, flew with him twice, he committed suicide exactly the same way. And I thought to myself, for goodness sake, so this is, this is getting a bit serious. And a further five years later, so that's quite a long period of time, another guy committed suicide, someone that I knew very, very well, did a couple of trips with him, went to his wedding, knew his wife, two young daughters, shot himself in his back garden. So I thought I'd go up to British Airways and talk to the head of medical services just to see what the airline had in place to detect people who perhaps were depressed or had suicidal feelings. <clears throat> and I hope Mike's not here, but he said to me, he said, Steve, he said, we've got the six, month, six monthly um, medicals and also the employee's assistance program. Well, I thought, well, that's not really going to cover too much. Because suicide is not like, it's not like alcoholism, where you can actually see alcoholism. In fact, the story, completely off point here, the story of the then chief pilot, <laughs> Hugh knows as well, God, don't tell him I'm saying this. The then chief pilot phoned me up and said, Steve, look, you know, you're doing a trip on, on the weekend with this, with Captain, I won't say his name. And he said there's been some sort of rumours around of him maybe drinking a bit excessively. Would you mind just taking a look and keeping your eye on him? I said, of course. And the really, really good news is I was able to report to him when I got back that he actually didn't drink as much as he did. So that was a good thing anyway. True story, and don't tell him I said that. So, do airlines really understand suicide? Or more to the point, does anyone understand pilot suicide? I think that's an important thing because, well, we'll have a look at the description. The definition, if you look, look at it, is... Aviation disasters in which pilots deliberately crash or attempt to crash an aircraft as a way to kill themselves 
and sometimes passengers on board or people on the ground. Okay, so I guess now we know what the definition is. But the, the real definition is the act of killing one, oneself intentionally. That's, that's what we're after. That's what we're looking at by someone who happens to be a pilot. Because it's not every pilot that commits suicide does it in the air. Lots of people commit suicide while being on the ground, fortunately. And it's not new. Pilot suicide isn't new. If you think back, and there's not too many people can think back to the Second World War, and I'm not going to be rude enough to ask anyone. But during World War II, which start, the kamikaze started in October 1944. I know that because I've looked it up. And it ended at the end of the war when Japan surrendered on the 15th of August 1945. So that was a period of about 10 months. Anybody guess how many suicide pilots there were then? As a random guess? I'll give a tenner to anyone who gets it within five. So I'm very careful. How many? 1,000. Okay, 3,860. So if you, if you actually work that out, that's 12 a day. That's, now if, if those statistics were today, you wouldn't be going to Marbella on your holiday. You'd be going to Margate, wouldn't you? No one would get on an aeroplane ever again. Can I ask a quick question, which I meant to ask at the start, but sort of rushed ahead. Is there anybody in the audience who's actually experienced or has a friend, a family, a work colleague, an acquaintance who's committed suicide? Uh, that's amazing. I mean, I've, I must be a bit of a weird person. Three people I've flown with, my brother-in-law and a couple of others I know. So 12 a day. So it's, it's been going for a long, long time. But why do pilots commit suicide? I mean, it would be foolhardy of me to actually talk about this subject without mentioning German wings. And I'm, I'm only briefly just going, going over it. I'm not going into any detail. We know that the flight was from Barcelona to Dusseldorf. The remarkable thing was three heads of states from Europe, because <laughs> we're not there anymore, are we? Three heads of states from Europe took the trouble to come out and be photographed to show almost like a sign of defiance to, to the event. And I thought it was an amazing thing, that. But it did make me think that, you know, if German wings had happened in Africa or South America, would there be so much of an outcry? I'd like to think there is. But, of course, there's one that we already know about where I don't think there was as much of an outcry. Or really, I had to really search the newspapers to find any information on it. So... I mean, it's incredible, really. Killer pilots suffering from depression. That was about two days after, after the event, wasn't it? Already they've worked out exactly what had gone wrong. An interesting, an interesting aside to that is the Vienna subway used to have a huge problem with one of their stations where lots and lots of people committed suicide to such a ridiculous degree. And they worked out, and they got together with the Austrian Association for Suicide Prevention. I've just read that because I couldn't remember it. And they worked out that if you do not make a big deal of it in the media, then perhaps it won't have the same effect. So they, with the newspapers, they came to this deal. They'd only put a, a little note about a suicide, and it almost stopped them immediately, which is something to bear in mind after seeing all those quotes from all those newspaper head headlines. I was at the Clyde conference last week, and maybe, oh, yeah, last week, and was it earlier this week, last week? Wasn't it? Last week. And 
a lot of people came up with quotations, so I started looking at quotations. And this was by a guy called Chuck Palahniuk, and he's a US author. And he said, the only difference between a suicide and martyrdom, really, is the amount of press coverage. And that sort of leads some gravitas to what they were doing in Vienna. So what about our friend or our enemy from German Wings? His professional level was judged to be above standard by his examiners. That's nice to know. The CEO of Lufthansa said, he's been flying from, for German Wings since September 2013 and was qualified, trusted, and so showed no signs of physical or psychological distress before the crash. Well, that's not entirely true, we found out. I always think it's a bad, bad thing to make too many statements too early on. Just let things sort of let the investigation continue. He went on to say, you can never exclude such an individual event. No system in the world can manage to do that. Well, that's debatable, I think, as well. So, our friend Mr. Lubitz was concerned about deteriorating vision, poor guy, suffering from burnout and depression. And that word depression comes up quite a lot. Medical records revealed that he was suicidal and underwent psychotherapy before he's got his pilot's license. You know, the real clues here that perhaps this wasn't a job for him and maybe he should have gone into pizza delivery or something less worrying. He passed his annual medical in 2014, but he, the medical only tests physical health, not psychological health. I think we'd rather know about it from the, from the doctors. So something can be done. That's the first thing that I've come to the conclusion. Something can be done. Another quotation from another author. There's a sort of a trend going here, isn't it? David Levithan. I'm constantly torn between killing myself and killing everyone around me. <laughs> because, I, I don't know about you, I can't come to terms with why the pilot would want to kill all those people with him. What actually makes someone think about that? Or an English author, I didn't, it was like I was just criticising the Americans, and I didn't mean to do that. By four, four o'clock, I've discounted suicide in favour of killing everyone else in the entire world. So, the, suicide, the, the brain of a suicide is not always a... Well, it's not a reasonable brain, that's for darn sure. So our friends at EASA, if they're still our friends after Brexit, I'm not too sure if they are, but it's only time will tell. Pilots must remain at their assigned station throughout the flight until absence is necessary for performance of duties in connection with the operation of physiological needs. Well, I, as someone who used to fly San Francisco, Johannesburg, and all the long, the long haul flights, and I know there's others in here who did the same, I mean, sometimes you've just got to get up. You've got to go to the bathroom, for one thing. You've got to go and stretch your legs and physiological needs. But there are things that airlines have already put in place, calling the cabin crew, putting a trolley across the aisle to stop, to stop passengers getting access to the flight deck, should they want to, pulling the curtain across, and some even put seatbelts on. Following the accident, he also made recommendations to airlines that two authorised persons must be present in the flight deck at all times. On a two-crew aeroplane, I'm not sure how you're going to do that, really. Is it wise to put cabin crew in there? My wife's cabin crew, I don't think she knows a switch from a button, from a, from a gauge, from a dial, really. So I'm not sure that that would have any 
real effect, I don't think. But it may be a deterrent, who knows? So what can be done? Ah, first the dilemma. Cockpit doors pose an unavoidable dilemma. They have to be impregnable, but there must be a way to override them. Now, when this came out of BA, I, I wrote against it. I, was, I, I thought it was a real bad move having um, flight deck doors, not because of the interaction between the flight and cabin crew, which I thought would be damaged, but, but because I always thought that the, surely the idea is stopping a terrorist getting on board, not assuming he's going to get on board, then stopping him getting in the flight deck. It seems a bit strange to me and a bit upside down. But they're here, they're here to stay. So, what can we do to sort of overcome this? Perhaps keyless entry. I'm, I'm astounded that Boeing, Airbus, uh, Bombardier, Embraer haven't come up with a, a way of opening the flight deck door that doesn't require the guy in the flight deck doing it. Keyless entry, we've all got one of those, although not everyone's got a Honda. Fingerprint, would that be easy to do? Well, they do it in our office in Lime Street, fingerprint. It only took five minutes to set up. Card swipe. Crikey, you've got to swipe your card to get in anywhere these days. An iPhone app. Everybody's got an iPhone. And I just thought of these things just to come up with a type of solution that what it, which I'm really hoping the airlines are actually pressing for now. Retina recognition. Or is that an in spy movies, perhaps? Combination lock, perhaps. Or voice recognition. But e either one of those would have actually stopped the problem, I think, or stopped the event. So what are the first signs of pilot suicide? Well, the word depression comes up again. Most serious outcomes of someone who's suffering from severe depression. Uh, I think we all get a little bit down as from time to time. The World Health Organization, that's not the who, the group, otherwise that would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? The World Health Organization estimates that some 350 million people worldwide are affected by depression. They're saying something like one in five. So if you're in a row of five, stick your hand up before that one. With, no, no, don't bother with that. But... It is, a, <laughs> it, is a, it is a fact, it's a statistic, that one in five people suffering from depression. Common signs of depression include... Actually, <laughs> now there's only, there's only two things you, can really, you can't count on in the UK, and that's the rain and England football team. Now there's 15,000 depressed English fans now coming home. I just had to have a dig about that because that was a nightmare as well. Okay. Difficulty sleeping or sleeping too much. Jeez, I do that. Difficulty concentrating. My boss is there. That I never have that problem. So, Feeling of hopelessness or helplessness. Yeah, sometimes. Last night in particular. Loss of appetite or significant increase in appetite. That depends on who you're with, I think. Increase in irritability, aggression or anger. Well, I don't have that at all. Increase in alcohol consumption. Well, you've probably all got that, and we'll find that out later on, I've no doubt. Thoughts your life are not worth living. Well, that's a real, a real worrying one. Becoming increasingly withdrawn from family and friends. Well, appear anxious and agitated, a bit like me now, I think. Have sudden mood swings. Perhaps my wife is, well, no, maybe not. Talk and act in a way that suggests life has no sense or purpose. Lose interest in most things, including their appearance. 
put their affairs in order, such as sorting out possessions and making a will. You know, it's all very well having signs of depression, but for goodness sake, you could actually trigger half of those to your wife, your, your best friend, your brother, your kids. My kids have got all of those. But as fatigue and depression are so closely linked, should we, should we as an industry be doing a little bit more and paying a lot more attention to fatigue risk management to protect mental health? It's one of the biggest topics in aviation at the moment, fatigue. When apps, they've got uh, uh, computer systems that are so well-defined, they can work crews up to the max. Who knows? Let's look at people who have suffered from depression. Brad Pitt must be being so handsome, having all that money and all those girls, I suppose. Johnny Depp has just got rid of his wife, so he's not depressed. But if you look down there, a lot of these people in this list are actually authors, aren't they? So perhaps... If you, one of your sons or your daughter wants to become an author, I'd suggest they don't, because if you look, there's Charles Dickens, depressed, J.K. Rowling, Agatha Christie, some of the real people that we really sort of know and love suffering from depression. He carried out a trial not so long ago at London University, and they worked out that actually magic mushrooms have, are a good cure. And from these people, there were, I think there was 12 people they tested and seven people were permanently cured of, of depression, which I think is a wonderful thing. And I've got some here if anybody would like a... <laughs> I haven't really. I couldn't find anywhere that sold them. But what it does, it, uh, it has a drug in there or a chemical called psilocybin, which uh, works on the serotonin receptors, which are the, the key points. So how does an airline detect someone who is suffering from depression? Yeah, that's a real diff difficult thing. I was at the Health and Wellbeing Conference here, and maybe some of you guys were as well. And Professor Robert Ball, who, who's now working with British Airways, I'm very pleased to say, he said that you can't see mental illness, and to, to detect pilots with suicidal thoughts is near impossible. I mean, that was taken only a few days before Robin Williams committed suicide. So... Pilots undergo medical checks every six to 12 months, depending on age. Records are not released. They are covered by privacy laws. Perhaps that will change. Doctors can ask about psychological condition as part of their assessment and can defer any examination when they believe further testing is required. This is the FIA, but the CAA is very, very similar. And I don't know some of the um, people who had flying medicals a lot more than I did. I only had 18 but uh, I can't remember the doctor ever asking me about my psychological condition. Perhaps they did. No, never did. I mean, it was always a bit of a game actually trying to get through that medical, wasn't it? Too? You wouldn't tell him, oh, I've got a bad heart. You would never say that. The pilot must self-disclose the information and ask to give explanations for all the yes answers. You know, it's unlikely that any pilot's going to do that because they know what the, what the outcome's going to be. Doctors will use self-disclosure to ask further questions about mental health issues. Well, I'm sure they will do. One unnamed pilot, but this could be 300, 3,000 unnamed pilot, told a leading newspaper that he will not say anything that could lead to a suspension of his license. I need my job. And can you blame him? So does a new line in the sand need to be drawn regarding doctor-patient confidentiality? I think it does. I think we need doctors to actually open up and say, look, there's a real problem. 
How do you do that, though? How do you, how do you cross that line in the sand? This is the, um, the recent publication from the FAA. came out last week. And uh, they're advising medical examiners. <clears throat> they're going to upgrade training for the medical examiner to spot potential psychological issues in pilots. But we've already been told by Professor Robert Board it's very, very difficult to do that. Now, I'm not too sure how they're going to do that but does not plan to introduce specific testing. And also, Professor Bohr said, it's very, very difficult to get a, a test that's going to be accurate enough to be able to spot somebody. Unless the pilot comes into the medical room saying, here's Johnny. It's going to be quite difficult, I know. So we've got to look at a few statistics, and I do apologize for this. According to UK figures, 4,623 UK men committed suicide and only 1,486 women. So that's about a three to one, isn't it? Why is that, guys? I mean, what are we doing wrong? Suicide is the biggest cause of death in males under the age of 45 in the UK. I'm all right, I'm 62, so I'm, I'm well clear of that now. But oh, that's a real, that statistic really sort of hit me, and I thought, for goodness sake, surely not. 41% of men who contemplated suicide never spoke to anyone about their feelings. As the captain who drove for nine hours never spoke to his wife, never told his wife he was leaving the house. Including, they didn't tell medical professionals, family, family members, friends. I can remember when the guy, the last guy I went to his wedding committed suicide, I did a trip with his best mate. And he said to me, if only you'd have phoned me up, we could have gone out and had a beer. But the thing is, he would never have phoned you up because that's not what they do. Of these men, the reason for not talking about these feelings included not wanting to worry people, not wanting to talk about their feelings, not wanting to cause a fuss, which clearly is an important one. A psychiatrist, Gabriella Stoppe, said it would be good to have more of a mix in general, but mainly because of safety. Women are much le less likely to commit suicide than men. And she believes that having female parts would be safer for the passengers. Certainly the flight decks will smell better. I've no doubt about that. So are airlines presently doing enough? Let's look at a couple. Suicide is a latent hazard. It's not present. You don't know it's out there. I think every airline knows of it. But how much effort do you need to put into these things when you've got things, some important things to worry about? CAA Significant 7, for instance. Loss of control, this is what you need to put your, your money into, your effort into, surely. Runway excursions, two a week, um, runway excursion, every week, two a week. CFIT, runway incursions, airborne conflict, ground handling accidents, and fire. Now, that's an important one right at this moment, isn't it? With our new batteries and what have you. European Commercial Aviation Safety Team, loss of control in flight, they reckon. System component failure. Not one of these groups have said that pilot suicide is a real high risk. It's a hazard out there, but there's lots of hazards out there. Mid-air collision air procs, abnormal runway contact, runway excursion, ground collision. European region airlines, very good group. Loss of control in flight, basically the same. Mid-air collision, fuel and smoke, and cybersecurity. Well, that's a very interesting one. But I was at a law conference back in February, and the CEO of a large U US regional airline, I won't say the name, 
said, the thing that keeps me awake at night is the thought of pilot suicide. And he said that to a, a crowded audience of about 500 people. And it shocked me. I thought, for goodness sake, why aren't you doing something about it then? Don't sit there and tell us that it keeps you awake at night. Do something about it. He further reported that over a 10-year period, they average one pilot suicide per year. And if you think about it, when I'm saying about the guys that, that I knew that committed suicide, that I'd actually flown with, and I, I was taking that personal, um, I knew of another three that came around and flight crew notices saying they committed suicide. And a more experienced pilot and operator than me said he knew that there was 12. So if there's 12, then statistically, it must be the same in every other, in every other airline. So I wasn't surprised when this guy said this. So I went up and asked him, what are you doing about it? And he was reluctant to actually let me know. But if you look at the uh, German Wings final report, peer support comes out. Kept in confidence in a just culture work environment. And it's all about peer support. And I think they're right. And it, actually, that's what we've got at present, isn't it? If you see someone that you, you think you're worried about their... Their, I guess their appearance, maybe their, their attitude, then perhaps they have a psychological problem that you need to, to report. But I think the problem with airlines like the one I was flying with is because there's something like 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 flight crew, the chance of you regularly flying with someone is almost nil. So you wouldn't be able to tell if someone has a problem or the wife left them or, or, or whatever. So it's quite difficult. It's okay on an, op an operation like VLM where they only had 30 captains and 30 first officers. Then the chance of you flying together with the same person is, is pretty, pretty good. And you can see straight away changes in people's appearance and, and what have you. So will this work in the future? I really hope so. A former head of safety of a leading US airline, and they are the leading US airline, said that in 2011, seven pilots committed suicide. In one year, seven pilots committed suicide. The airline then started a confidential program to identify pilots who may appear depressed or worse, called Wingman, which is a pretty good, pretty good name for it, I thought. And 2014, one suicide, 2015, two suicides. Still too many, or three too many there. And they were all white males aged between 45 and 56. He actually said to me, and I, I hope I don't offend anybody, he said to me, he said, they should, they should employ only Afro-Americans uh, Afro Afro, Afro and, um, and Mexicans as pilots because it's just white males. Delta Airlines, human factors, intervention, and motivation. And this is a program just purely to get pilots who've, been, who've lost their license through whatever reason to get them back flying in a safe environment. I think it's another really good program. So we can see that the Americans are doing something. Well, so are the British. British Airways are doing a fantastic program. And they've taken on <coughs> Professor Robert Bohr, who's probably the leading clinical psychologist. His words to me are, there's not enough clinical psychologists in the UK to actually cover all this. And there'll be a lot of clinical psychologists owning boats by the end of the year. Because they're actually coming into, they're going to be so much in demand. And it's all about peer support. And the peer support can be self-referral from one of your colleagues, although you can see some problems with that, can't you? If, you? if you suddenly get flight crew that don't get on together, one says to the other one, 
Uh, one says something about the other one to the chief pilot. It's not, it's not a great thing. Family referral. It's trying to get everybody involved in it, but it's a real big step forward. And also our friends at Virgin Atlantic. And they're both using very, very similar systems where they've got pilots who are the ones who are doing the, the mentoring. And they're the peer support as a fellow pilot. But it does make you think that you know, if, if Lubitz had a peer support prior to his, his event, I wonder how the peer support would have felt at the end of it. An old, safety, uh, an old saying in aviation is good airlines learn by their mistakes, but very good airlines learn by other people's mistakes. So hopefully we're going to learn by their mistakes. But what about other aviation employees? Why are we so stuck on it just being pilots? I mean, cabin crew. That's Ryanair, by the way. Very smart, I thought. Cabin crew, I mean, there's no real statistics on cabin crew suicide, yet I know they happen. I know when I was flying that there were a number, and there was one on a major airline only a couple of months ago that had to break down the lavatory to get him out of there where he was trying to commit suicide. What about air traffic controllers, for goodness sake? I mean, statistically, they've got exactly the same problem as do ground engineers, and I knew a ground engineer that committed suicide. It's almost like I'm part of the problem, I think. But. And also ground staff, check-in staff, pushback staff, they all have the same problem. So we can see that it's being done for our, our, pilot, our flight operations friends, but surely it should be a, a company-wide program or other industries. Picture of Reg Varney, I don't know how they got in there. But the TTC, Toronto Transit Commission, were, were asked to report the number of suicides in their system. That's basically the bus and train system in Toronto. Since 1999 and 2007, and they said there's been 150 successful suicides and 100 unsuccessful. I mean, I, I find these figures absolutely staggering. So what about the future? And will pilot suicide be a consideration? Well, it's incredibly rare. Over 40 years, and we're not looking at MH370 in these statistics. There's only been 591 deaths in 11 separate incidents. And these are them, really. The LAM one, which uh, you had to search through the new newspapers to find, find that reported. The uh, Egypt Air in 1999, Silk Air in 1997. Interestingly, they were both before 9-11 when they locked the flight deck door. There was only one. Plus, we have German wings, of course. But to put this in perspective, over a 40-year period, 591 deaths, and 103 of those was on silk air, which we actually believe on a, by a, uh, an independent investigation was not, was not pilot suicide at all. It was due to a technical failure. In the UK, 64 million people, 600 people die annually from falling down the stairs or steps. I mean, you want one of those standard stairlift things with a seatbelt, wouldn't you, really? Probability of death as a result of falling from steps while boarding an aircraft is 28 times greater than flying in the aircraft. So how much of a risk is it? The hazard is there, we know, but how much of a risk is it? So what about the future then? Driverless trains. Anybody been on the DLR? Always turn up. Driver never turns up. Always leaves on time. Always clean. It's amazing. 99.67. I must tell Mr. Walsh that that punctuality would be absolutely delighted if he could get that with, with BA. Pilotless aircraft. How would we feel about that? 
This was a study done by Cranfield University where they flew the aircraft remotely, although there was a guy stat, sat at the back with a great big switch saying, ready to take over. Or drones, they're already out there as we know. Would you feel happy if your kids were flying to New York and there's a couple of blokes in, in an office sat like that? I don't think I would. But your guess is as good as mine, and it's going to ultimately it's going to, it's going to be the, the general public who are going to decide. They worried about the rogue pilot or flying with an, on an aircraft without any pilot. So how can you guys help? Well, I think you guys can help because you talk to airlines, and if everybody spoke to airlines and spoke about pilot suicide as as a normal conversation, like, I, I guess, like alcoholism or, or what, then we'd be in a lot better place. And I, when I spoke to the insurers about this, I said the same. You should be out there when you meet your clients. Start speaking about pilot suicide. Ask if they've got anything in place. So do, they under, do airlines understand pilot suicide? Well, not totally, but I believe the help of the pilots and the medical staff in the airlines, we're really, we're really getting there. And it's all about peer support. I just hope that these smaller carriers actually follow their lead. And remember, it's not only pilots that commit suicide. Cabin crew, ground staff, check-in staff. And there's very little or no statistics for cabin crew. And talking openly would be the great start. Talk about it, have a laugh and a joke about it as we do about alcoholism. And I'm sorry, I was quite light-hearted on a number of things, but I do it for a reason, because I want everyone to start talking about suicide. It should not be a taboo subject. Thank you. From across the globe, from the center of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favorite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.